And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen. We're waiting news of Trent Sieg's contract extension. The Raiders are locking up all their special team units. Uh, you know, they've got a special teams coach as the head coach right now, and uh, they're making sure they get all those specialists locked up for the future. Daniel Carlson, A.J. Cole, four-year extensions. Trent Sieg just needs to come back from the COVID-19 list, right? And, and then we uh, we sign him up, and uh, we've got the big story of the week. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously well-deserved. Those guys have really done a nice job this year and, and even in past years. Uh the timing is interesting. I wonder why now, but uh, I guess when you have a chance to lock up your kickers, you do it. Um, it's a nice little side story to what's a big week for them in terms of uh, this game. Really has a lot of importance for them this weekend. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. I think AJ Cole's press conference did it, man. Once they saw him go up there and work the room for ten minutes, they're like, "Hey, we got to get this guy." Both of them, they, they got to get four year extensions, man. I mean, they've got to get them extended before they go on their street fighting tour. And, you know, so they got I'm sure there must be a clause in the contract that if they get injured in a street fight, that their contracts are are voided. But I hope there's a street fighting clause in the contract. But no, Vic, you're right. Big game on Sunday kind of feels like, you know, I know everybody wants to write them off already, write them off after losing to Washington. And that probably is a safe kind of mindset to take for this Raiders team. Not, you know, whenever you start getting excited about them, they seem to let you down. This does kind of officially, I think, feel like a last stand here. I mean, if, if they can go into Kansas City and, and beat the Chiefs, you know, I mean, we'll probably feel a lot like we did after they went into Dallas and beat the Cowboys. You're suddenly going to think, OK, hey, they're contenders. You know, I, I mean, do we think that's going to happen? Uh, the way the Chiefs are playing, the way the Raiders are playing? You know, I, we, we'll get into that, but um, this is this really does feel like if they lose this game, if they lose bad like they did at home to Kansas City, uh, I think we can definitely start writing them off. But you know, I guess if they win, um, it, it kind of is their last chance to to really assert themselves. Yeah, because if they lose this one, even they, if they were to you know win out the rest of the way, you know, make them what ten and seven at best, and I think three and three in the division, that's probably not getting in. I, I wouldn't think. With how congested things are, I mean, there's like, what, 13 teams with at least six wins right now. So how many 10-win teams? I mean, last year, what was every team had at least 10 wins and the Dolphins missed it, having 10 wins as well. So I feel like it's going to be a kind of a similar situation. I guess, you know, it's hard to, you know, 
road game against the Chiefs coming off a five-game winning streak saying it's a must-win game. But, I mean, it kind of is, you know, because, I mean, even the chances of them running the table to begin with after losing this game, you know, are, are kind of slim so, so they even get in that position. So certain games, like the Giants game, the Bears game, obviously last week against Washington, those kind of games you have to have, you lose those, and this is the, the situation you end up in. We said before, you know, if they win 10 games, that seems to be the magic number to get in the playoffs. So, yeah, they have to win all four games. And if you beat the Kansas City Chiefs, who's the hardest team on your schedule, one of the best teams in AFC on the road, then all of a sudden there's, you know, a small glimmer of hope that maybe you can win all these games. So it just seems unlikely, but... You know, this Raider team does this to us. You know, when we don't expect them to win, they they come out and they they play really well. So, you know, who knows? If it happens, then I'll be an idiot and, and give hope that they might make the playoffs or have hope they might make the playoffs. But we'll see. This is a tough team. But the offense isn't fixed. I mean, everybody thought, you know, maybe this offense and Patrick Mahomes was back on track because they hung up. A bunch of points on the Raiders, but ever since then, the the offense has gone back to being very mediocre again. And one of the reasons why you know they were able to score so many points was that the Raiders didn't want to play a lot of too deep coverages, like um, a, a bunch of teams were doing against the Chiefs. And and one one of the reasons for that is they don't feel like they have two safeties they can put back there and play a bunch of too deep coverages. Jonathan Abram is you know he has played better this season, but. He's just not a guy that you can trust to play deep too often. So it'll be interesting to see Gus Bradley's approach coming into this game. Yeah, I think Gus is the key to this game. I think, like you mentioned, like the Chiefs still have trouble offensively. I think they're um, they're not what they were. And I think um, the game, the last game, the score got out of hand towards the end, but it wasn't. It was kind of a close game for a while there. I just think that um, yeah, I don't know if Jonathan Abram can play uh, two deep safety. I don't know if you have to use a cornerback back there, but. Uh, I look forward to seeing what Gus does this time because he has to try something different. He tried to stick to his own defense last time, even though other teams have shown that you know that the two deep works against his Chiefs team. He because he was a little stubborn, so I think he has to realize he got to be outside the box this time, try some new things, maybe some more blitzes. But they got to keep Mahomes off guard. So I think the defense to me again, and the offense obviously everyone talks about Derek Carr and the aggressiveness, but I think the defense uh, is the key to this weekend. Yeah, I think Gus has to change something because, I mean, last time they, you know, ran mostly single high, ran mostly zone coverages, and then ran mostly cover three of those zone coverages. And so you're basically giving Patrick Mahomes the same look on the majority of his dropbacks. Like, he's probably going to shred you, and that's what he ended up doing. I don't expect them to suddenly start playing too high because they haven't really done it this season. Like, I believe they still have, like, the lowest amount of too high snaps in the league this season. And I just don't think Jonathan Abram is really – kind of capable of being responsible for an entire back half of the field. But I think there are also ways within, you know, even if you are in single high to, to mix up your zone coverages or maybe play more man coverages. I think Travis Kelsey, like eight of his nine catches last time came against zones. So maybe you man him up more, play more combo coverages. Like you just have to do something. I think if you just run out there with the same single high cover three, Patrick Holmes is probably going to do the same thing. That's what the Chargers had success with, with Brandon Staley is they, they played a lot of cover one and, they were doubling Tyreek Hill with the other safety or, or at least having him kind of shadow, you know, kind of watching for that Tyreek Hill crosser. And basically they were just daring anybody to beat one-on-one coverage aside from Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. So you could take that approach and dare McCall Hardman and Byron Pringle to beat you one-on-one. And some teams have had success with that too. I think the Raiders can take that approach with Trayvon Mullenbach. 
So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that's an option that the Raiders could take as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder what Trayvon Mullen's presumptive return, you know, he's been practicing since last week. We assume he's going to be back this week. And what does that do? What does that open up for their defense? I mean, if, if they've got him and Casey Hayward as the outside corners, Nate Hobbs, I mean, it, can they get creative with, with face on and, and see if he can, you know, play a little safety for them? Um, you know, he's got time in the Gus Bradley defense. So I, I wonder if they can get creative with him with, uh, with Mullen back. Yeah, I mean, he's been getting <laughs> picked on very significantly for the last four or five weeks. So I'm, I'm not sure. Give him a different role. So I'm, not, I'm not sure if a role. Make the plays in a different I'm role. not sure if a role is there. I think you just maybe <laughs> keep Trayvon Mullen. But Vic needs his feature, man. We, Vic needs his. <laughs> a life support. They do like their dime packages, but I guess, you know, the immortal Dallin Levitt and, and Roger Teamer seem to be the guys that they, they go to when they, they – I mean, they, they played them a good amount, I think, last time, if I can remember correctly, in those three safety looks. Uh, I will say, like, I haven't noticed those guys get particularly, like, burned badly on a specific play this season, so maybe I shouldn't pile on them too much. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the three safety looks being their best option in this one. I'm also looking forward to seeing uh, Divine Diablo play a little more. Play, I think he played well last week, I think – and I never solved the whole Travis Kelsey issue. I'm not saying Diablo can do that, but at least give him a little different look, maybe a different type of athlete. So excited is the wrong word, but I'm definitely curious to see uh, what he can do in this game, as well as Malcolm Coates. He played well last week in the seven snaps. So I think you get some of those young guys in there, kind of give him a little spark, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Denzel Perriman, he's dealing with an ankle injury. He missed practice yesterday. And Corey Littleton, he practiced, but he was limited with a shoulder injury. So if, you know, Either one of those guys can't go or they're limited. You, you would figure Diablo would play with, with Kwiatkowski being out. And they're mostly special teamers, but they just really don't have many bodies in the linebacker room. I know they signed Will Compton to the practice squad, but I think you would probably rather have Devon Diablo playing actual defense than him right now. So they uh, should have a, a shot to play a, a good amount of reps. What teams have had success with is bumping Travis Kelsey. So that's another benefit you have to playing man coverage is you get somebody right on Travis Kelsey. And, and bump him. He's just had a little trouble getting away from physical coverage. Um, you know, maybe he's a little older and he's lost some of that, some of his strength and ability to run through contact. But if you just give him a bunch of free releases, then, you know, you get the same result as you got the first time the Raiders play. And that's what, when Travis Kelsey had one of his best games of the season. So, yeah, I, I think maybe with Diablo in, or if Littleton plays, you, you have that option to maybe play some bump on him and then, you know, just make him run through you instead of just giving him free releases. Yeah, that's the one time we've ever seen the Raiders have success. You know, we've mentioned it before, the Bruce Irvin game. where That's all they did all game. that Bruce Irvin had one job all game was to beat up Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage, and they were able to contain him. And it's a strategy the Raiders have used to success before, obviously different staff, different players and all that. But um, like you said, Vic, I mean, they have to do something different, right? I mean, they can't just... You know, Gus Bradley's kind of stubborn. He, he he believes in his defense, and that's good. I mean, it's good to believe in what you do and and kind of to think that your guys are, are good enough to run your system and that your system is good enough. But there's just so much evidence against the Chiefs that this is what works, that's what doesn't work. I think they have versatile enough players on the back end to, to mix up some of these coverages. Like, you know, Trayvon Morrig in college, I mean, he mostly played in more of a, a man system and I think both of their outside corners, Casey Hayward and Trayvon Bowling, can, can play man if you ask them to. I know Nate Hobbs was more of like a, a cover two kind of guy in college, but I think he has the traits to play man coverage. I guess Jonathan Abram is the only one where you're kind of worrying, like, who do you put him on in that offense uh, that, that you wouldn't be concerned about? Could he be the guy that just beats up 
Kelsey at the line. Maybe that's his role. I mean, he's big enough, physical enough. It's just, you know, after the line, what what happens? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think they have guys that are capable of playing more man than they do. I think that's just kind of what, what Gus likes to do. But the matchup calls for, you would think that he would. I know he doesn't adjust much. Like, see what happened last time and know that, that something has to change. You know, going back, you know, a little bit to the playoff picture, you know, we talk about that 10-win mark. And, you know, like we said last year, you know, 10 wins of what was required and the Dolphins didn't get in even with 10 wins. And, you know, and that was in a 16-game season. That's worth remembering. 17-game season. I'm starting to think that it's going to be 11. It might be the, the minimum requirement for everybody. I mean, I, I could see maybe one or two teams with, with 10 wins getting in. You know, Even if they win this game, you, you look at the schedule the rest of the way. Every team they play the rest of the way is in playoff contentions. It's it's the Browns uh, next Saturday, the Broncos who were, you know, kind of in their the same position as the Raiders where they're, you know, technically in the playoff race, but you know, you're not really sure what to think. You know, and then the last two games, Colts and Chargers. The opportunities are there against all these teams that you're contending with for wild card spots, for tiebreakers, for positioning. But for a team that has ridden this wave of like losing to bad teams and and sometimes beating good teams it's hard to see them being able to find that consistency to win you know four out of five and you know go on any kind of run like that yeah if you lose five out of six including what we now look at as last you know last stand kind of game uh, i can't imagine your morale is going to be very good you can really have positive thoughts about winning the rest of your games this year i think that the problems they're having right now will be magnified will be more I don't want to say finger pointing. I don't know it's finger pointing, but they'll be more like sideways glances at each other in the locker room, kind of like, you know, here we go again. It's the third straight. You know, a lot of new players this year, but it is the third straight year they've had a slide at this point in the season. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a slippery slope, and right now they're kind of hanging on by, you know, barely. But I think if they lost this weekend, that would be, uh, that'd be it. Deshaun, right, you wrote on Wednesday about Derek Carr. You asked him, you know, about his freedom at the line of scrimmage. What can he do there to, to change plays? And, you know, we all criticized their lack of aggression against Washington after, you know, their aggression against the Cowboys was such a big factor in them winning that game. You know, and we understand that Deshaun Jackson was not 100% against Washington. His calf injury, you know, flaring up. So, he, you know, it's not like he can go run, you know, go routes 10, 15 times a game. But still, they need to do something more than what they did in that game plan against Washington. It seemed like he was trying to kind of walk the fine line of saying, yeah, I can change plays, but you know, I have to live a little bit within my yard. I have I have a yard, and it's a big yard, but I have to stay within my yard. Um, I mean, what did you take from from Derek's kind of response to your question? Yeah, I thought it was pretty honest. I mean, he you know he took us through the process throughout the week of you know being able to insert plays and kind of, or not insert, but suggest plays that, that Greg Olson can kind of make the call on throughout the game planning process. Uh, you know, and, and when he, you know, goes to the line of scrimmage, I think we've you know heard it talked about on broadcast a few times this year. Like he has a few options that he can check into. Like they're all kind of branched off from the original play. And then on certain plays, even if it is, you know, he's designed to take a quick shot down, you know, into the flats or something. He may have an alert route as a post or a go route or something like that. And so, Basically, you know, the point was like he does have, you know, a good amount of freedom, probably more freedom than, than some younger quarterbacks um, in the league within the system. And so it kind of raises the question of, you know, when you have a start like against Washington, for example, when you're just throwing in the flat, throwing in the flat, throwing in the flat, like at what point, you know, maybe after the first quarter you're struggling or the second quarter you're still struggling, like does it kind of just click like, all right, we need to like ramp up the aggression, whatever aggressive tre- check that I have or audible that I have, let's go with that. But it did sound like he said he was a little bit hesitant to, 
do it early in games, you know, because he said that teams are they're playing coverages that he's, he's seen before. Obviously, I don't think there's any coverage he hasn't seen in the league, but, you know, they're, they're tweaking it in different ways and maybe rotating players in different ways to kind of tr- trying to trick him and bait him. We've seen that a couple of times this year where he tried to throw like the corner route to Zay Jones when the safety was was kind of in the middle and then comes over last second and picks him off and kind of plays like that. So maybe that's getting in his head a little bit. But it also sounds like he doesn't want to overstep Greg Olson too much. But, you know, I understand that. Like, obviously, as a player, you don't want to go completely rogue, but it kind of feels like something's just not working consistently. And you're in this kind of desperation situation as a guy who's, you know, a nine year veteran at this point, the, the undoubted leader of the team. I feel like you kind of got to you know, ramp up that control a little bit more, push them a little bit more to, to ramp up that aggression um, instead of just kind of falling into whatever the game plan is, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think, you know, last year when the Raiders offense had a lot of success against Chiefs, you know, the story was how much control Derek Carr had the line of scrimmage and how much he was changing plays. And it doesn't seem like he's doing that as often this season. So, yeah, you know, I, I think – that's a huge part of his game, his ability to read defenses and get the offense into the right play. And it, it just doesn't seem like he's doing it as much. So I think he needs to. And, you know, one thing I noticed last time the Raiders played the Chiefs were I felt like they were surprised by the defense the Chiefs played. The Chiefs were a heavy man, heavy, heavy blitzing team. And then when they played the Raiders, they played a ton of cover two and just sat back, basically gave the Raiders the same treatment that they've been getting and forcing the Raiders to drive the ball and taking away the deep pass. And the Raiders just didn't have have enough answers for the cover two. They had like different plays, but they just kept on trying to attack the same area of the field. And, you know, which could be beneficial and they hit some balls in the middle of the field, but you know, you just can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So um, I think they have to be prepared for Spags to do anything. And, you know, part of that is having Carr have some answers at the line of scrimmage and and change plays if, if Spags is doing something that you know they didn't expect in the game plan. I think you attack the middle of the field more often. I think I was surprised Moreau didn't have more targets last week. I think he's proven he can make plays even in tight windows. Well, with Derek and, and Olsen, I think um, I'm sure both sides are kind of being very diplomatic. I'm sure both sides are frustrated with the other one, I think, a little bit because I think there is so much gray area as far as what the call is and what Derek can do with the last scrimmage. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly what was the intent versus what happened in the play and who's responsible for what happened. So I think I'm sure there's frustration on, on both parts. Clearly they've shown that when Derek is more aggressive early on, they do better. And I think that's um, part of that's, you know, it's, it's a mindset. We talk about mindset a lot of times. I think that he doesn't have the confidence in the O-line that he used to have or the, I think his receivers without rugs and with Jackson being hurt last week. I think he, Edwards is still not the guy they thought he was going to be at this point. I think he's shown flashes, but still too many drops. I still think he has trouble beating some guys, you know, off the ball. So I just think, I mean, the referee's been fine, but I just think that Zay Jones, for all the talk, and I was probably part of the problem in training camp because he looked good. I talk about all the times he spent with Derek in the park, but he's not a guy I don't think he can throw the ball deep to. I don't think he's ever shown he can make those plays down the, way down the field. I mean, he's he's fine, but I'm not sure that's his strength or that's something he should keep trying to do. So I think. All that kind of comes together. I think it's all about confidence. So in this game, you got to kind of go for broke. I think you got to like, you know, if you make a mistake and you throw a pick, then you got to live with that. I know that's against the whole, you know, John Gruden, Olsen, you know, check down philosophy. But I think you got to make plays early on. And if you make a mistake, then that's fine. And, and hopefully your defense can, uh, can have your back. I don't think you can discount. I mean, obviously there's the elephant in the room of John Gruden being gone. And I think what we might be seeing here is, 
Derek Carr and Greg Olson were basically two deputies in this offense before. I mean, John Gruden ran this offense. And um, yeah, I mean, Gruden obviously gives would give Carr some freedom to make changes at the line of scrimmage and all that. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he's running the offense as John Gruden wants it to be run. You know, Greg Olson's putting in some pointers. Derek Carr's putting in some pointers. So now you've got two deputies that, you know, have been in this offense for four years now that have had one guy kind of leading it. And now they're kind of trying to to make those decisions that used to be made by Gruden. And so they're putting together a game plan that that's missing, you know, the, the main guy who, who designed this offense. You got uh, two deputies and uh, Roger Goodell shot the sheriff. <laughs> What a transition. Can we get you to sing? I thought about it. You know, I was thinking about bringing in a song, <laughs> but I had any coffee yet. I'm not really, like, totally locked in. Come on. Somebody get uh, – let, let's give Vic maybe a cup after, of coffee. Maybe after we, the we game. Need... If they do off the game, I'll, I'll, I'll rehearse a little bit. I'll, I'll get my – I can see I got, like, a Bob Marley. Yeah, I got a Bob Marley going for <laughs> you. <laughs> That's the problem with these 9 a.m. podcasts. I can't be singing at 9 a.m. I, mean, I got people in the house still. It's not good. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's take some questions here from Patrick D. It feels like each year as we approach the playoffs, the Raider fans need to do a bunch of mental gymnastics to figure out the probabilities of us making a postseason appearance. Should we just accept our fate of missing another playoff berth and enjoy the last few games, or would it be better off to cling to hope against all odds and common sense? Cling to hope until Sunday. If you beat the Chiefs, you could give yourself a sliver of hope. Watching games is a little, little boring if you don't have any incentive to it, right? You know, so your, your feelings might be hurt at the end of the day, but you know, I think it's worth still still clinging to hope and, and seeing what happens. You never know. But I feel like so many Raider fans watch these games now in the last few years. And all, like, they go in like, okay, Derek Carr's going to prove to me he's the man, or I knew that guy sucked. And that's why you know, I think people come in with that agenda to be either like pro or anti-Derek Carr. And I think that kind of maybe uh, gets in the way of other things. But... Yeah, you got to go into this game, I think, thinking positive thoughts because, if you know, like we said, if you don't win this game, it's over. So I think it's going to be tough. But they won there last year, so it's been done. So if you're a Raider fan, you got to remember the good times from Thanksgiving and forget last week and, 
maybe a little prayer. Prayer is always good. Maybe say a little prayer. But uh, yeah, you got to be optimistic, I think, uh, this week. Our question from Dennis R, kind of uh, along these, these lines. Predictions for a final record. Convince me this isn't 2017 Redux where we got to 6-6 six and six and then lost the final four games. I'm going to go 8-9. and nine. Right now they're 6-6. Six and six. Oof. I don't know, man. If they lose this one, they could get ugly. I mean, uh, like you said, there's some tough games on that schedule. Like, you know, at Indianapolis, at Cleveland, that's rough. Cleveland's kind of teetering. They should be able to beat Denver at home. But they can't run the ball. So you can't, you go to Cleveland this time of year and you can't run the ball. That's not good. Ooh, I hate to, I just talked about being optimistic now. I'm going to drop a 6-11 and 11 on you guys. But um, I'll be optimistic. At least 7-10. I'm going to go, I'll go up and be a Mr. Paz. I'll say 8-9 like you, but I don't think, I'm not really believing it, but I'll say 8-9. 8-9 say <laughs> is Mr. Positive. I like that. Well, I think before the season, I picked them to go with 9-8 and eight, something like that. But I was assuming that they would beat teams like the Giants in Washington. So, you know, it kind of threw me off there. Um, yeah, I don't want to be the same as you guys, but. Be positive. Say 6-9-8 say and eight and I'll roll with that. Nah. The Broncos game is the only one left where I'm kind of like, they should probably win that one at home. I'll go, I'll go uh, what would it be, 7-10. Ted's going 11-6. and six. Oh, come on. Ted, talking about they're going to win this weekend. You got to be the Mr. I didn't say they Mr. were Sunshine going here. to win this weekend. But but you can say that. Go go big. Go 10-7, man. I'll to 8-9. I, I think they beat the Broncos, and they're going to surprise one You know, one of these teams at, at the end. 8-9 seems like a realistic number to me. Our producer said, the over under was seven wins, so I guess I have to take a side. I'll go eight. I'll go eight and nine. So we're also eight and nine, huh? Yeah. Man, that's a great season. They hit the over. That's a pink slip season right there, eight and nine. A lot of pink slips coming if they finish eight and nine. Yeah, I think that's in the cards. Uh, question from Chase G. Who do you guys think has the ultimate say on Derek Carr? Is it Mark Davis? Mayock? Is it on the next head coach? I don't think it's going to be Mayock. Um, like you said, if it's eight and nine, he's probably gone. I would assume Mark has has a say, and it kind of comes down to how the the coaching search goes. I mean, we I think we all can safely assume at this point it's not going to be Bizaccia sticking around, especially with how we're predicting the season finishes. Uh, I mean, so I I think to me it, it would probably be collaborative between Mark and if he brings in a new front office and new coaching staff, and and you know kind of give those guys you know their say and see what they what they think about Carr. Yeah, I think you have to you know, make that part of your your coaching search is you know. Kind of allowing that next guy to, you know, dictate whether they keep Carr or not. Because uh, I think, particularly with them, you know, I don't think they're going to be bad enough to get like I don't know a top ten pick or something. And like this isn't a great quarterback class anyway. So it's like, if you don't keep Carr, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to sling a trade for you know one of these big name quarterbacks that we're expecting? Like, do we expect anybody to want to come into that kind of a situation? Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers type or Russell Wilson or whoever it may be. So I definitely think that's something that you you can't just like. I mean, he can if he wants to. He's, he's the owner of the team. But, like, I don't think you, like, make a decision on Carr and then go try to get a coach because I feel like that probably changes your pool in some way and, and probably excludes some candidates you may have otherwise considered. I think that's what happens. I think that Mark Davis will make a decision and then go into the search with that in mind. I think um, – I just don't know if he can – he's going to rely on a new coach to kind of influence – him giving Carr, you know, $180 million extension, whatever it's going to cost to keep him past this year. I don't, I don't know if you can bring him back in the lame duck status, like don't give him a, don't do anything. It's kind of on play last year was contract. I'm not sure what that does for you either. So uh, I am of the, of the belief that Mark Davis will make a decision 
Because he hired the last two coaches, basically, and he'll hire this one. So I think he'll use uh, whatever he's decided on Derek to kind of frame who he wants to bring in. And I'm sure he'll listen to ideas, and he'll be, you know, quote-unquote open to some things. But I think he'll mind will pretty much be made up as far as the quarterback before before the coaching search really gets going. Does that mean Marcel Reese will have a big uh, uh, role in, in deciding Derek Carr's future? I don't know about that. He's his right-hand man, so I think Marcel definitely, well, his voice will be heard. But again, I think this kind of thing, I think Mark will, uh, I, he probably knows now. I, I'm sure he probably has a gut feeling right now which way he's leaning, so uh, there's no rush. He wants to see how this plays out, and obviously they win uh, on Sunday, and that changes a lot, and we'll see what happens, but... Uh, we've all said uh, pretty much all year long that if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think there'll be a lot of changes. And I don't think that Derek Carr is not on that list if, of possible changes. So I think it's all on Mark. Mark Davis, I think, will be the guy who makes the decision. I mean, it won't happen, but I, I just think that they should get a, a new general manager in, start fresh. I just don't think that there's been enough success with their personnel choices to warrant keeping this front office. Um, and I, I think that new general manager should have the right or um, final say in who's the head coach. You know, I, I think most of the successful teams that we've seen have their general manager and coach working in sync with each other. So I, I just think that's the structure that the, the Raiders need going forward. And, you know, hopefully Mark Davis is able to hire somebody that's forward thinking and, and modern as that, you know, front office guy. So you want the coach to work for the GM. How many of the successful coaches out there are reporting right nowadays or reporting to the GM? No, I would say he's, you know, reporting to the I GM. I mean, if you want the if you want the G if you want the GM hiring the I don't think you could I don't think you want the GM hiring. To me, I I don't I don't want the GM hiring the coach. I want to hire him in a tandem, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a tandem, but um if you do hire the GM, I think he has to have, you know, a, a big part of hiring who, who that coach is, I've never heard Mark Davis talk about football, so I just don't know his, you know, football acumen and, how, you know, how do you hire a coach if you, you know, <laughs> if you aren't, like, very versed in, in football, you know, like, what are you what are you thinking about when you, you're just, you know, hiring that guy? Yeah, I think, you know, also with that, and kind of we'll see if, maybe not after how it went this time, but, like, maybe another coach that kind of has GM power. Like if because if you do it that way, the GM doesn't really like they still matter, but they're not as much of like a like if they're not making personnel decisions. Like if they do that again, maybe the coach, maybe that process works differently. I don't know, but I, I do think that somebody else besides Mark Davis needs to be making like that that football decision. I would say it just it just doesn't sound like it's a recipe for like a good outcome based off the prior results. Like I mean, we we've seen it twice now. It hasn't been. Yeah, I think you need a better balance. I think you need not a a, Mar, a John Gruden type who's just like I, you know, everything runs through me, and you know, we know how how that whole went. So I mean, I think you need a better balance. Um, in today's NFL, I mean, most of the good coaches, you know, have some, you know, some degree of say in the personnel, and you know, and they should, um, but just not the the degree to which John Gruden did. All right, we got a couple. Coaching search related questions uh, to wrap this up from Michael C. Do you think Mark Davis will request to speak to Kellen Moore? And if so, do you think Jerry would even consider it? After the pass interference game? Nah, man. He's going to say, fuck off. Can't talk to my offense coordinator. Fuck off. <laughs> I can see Jerry saying that. I really could. I can see Jerry saying that. Jerry's just like, I got you, Vegas. That's that's it. I'm not, I got you, Vegas. I'm not giving you my coordinator. Fuck off. 
Uh, didn't Jerry during the owners' meetings? Didn't he kind of come come to bat for the Raiders a little he did? bit? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think he'll let him interview him. I think he should. I mean, I don't know about I don't know if Kellen Moore is ready for a head coaching job, but I feel like he's one of the candidates you probably talk to along the process. I will get into the coaching search a lot, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. But uh, I don't think the whole I'm wondering if in, in Mark Davis's mind if the whole John Gruden thing was a mistake, like given guy that much power giving a guy i think he might say you know what we were on the verge we had a good start this year things are kind of you know maybe trending upwards and then all this stuff happens so i don't know if, if mark is totally against doing a similar thing as far as you know bringing a guy with a huge personality who can probably try and do both but um yeah we'll see i mean it's gonna be one of the interesting things of this offseason for sure speaking of huge personalities that takes us to our last question from todd m what are the chances Jim Harbaugh is the next Raiders coach and he brings in Vic Fangio as his DC? Oh, that's a layer there. Yeah, I think Harbaugh's definitely on the list. If they're, I mean, if the list is being formed right now, but he's a guy they talked to, I think it was a 2014, I want to say, but um, has some Raider ties, which is big with Mark. So I don't know what his, uh, what Jim's feelings are in the future in Michigan. Obviously having a great year this year, but in the long term, does he want to stay there for a while? I don't know, but uh yeah, there's a lot of interesting names that will be out there. I mean, uh, it was a coincidence that Dabble was out there in the sideline last week. I don't know. That seemed kind of weird, the timing of it all. I think, uh, uh, and for me, I still think a name that I might uh, go back to. I, think, I still think David Shaw. David Shaw is the kind of guy that's still no. interesting, I think. No, no, We can't do no? that. <laughs> why not? Tell me why not. We're not going to go. I just feel like, you know, his style fits what Stanford does. But if, you, you know, you're going to. And it doesn't even fit what they do lately. Yeah. Exactly, and you know, it just feels like you're going backwards into like the 1960s if you you hire David Shaw and start running I formation, you know, power football and doing what what Stanford does. So I just don't see that working in today's NFL. I don't think the college coach thing is gonna like these new college coach contracts. I'm like Jesus, fucking crazy. Like I don't like. Are you paying 100 mil for? Mel Tucker or Brian Kelly, some of the, those kind of guys are getting. Let's say Jim Harbaugh wins the college playoff or something like that. Like, can you imagine what kind of contract he's about to demand to make that leap? So, like, I just after giving somebody ten years, a hundred million, I don't know that he's giving somebody you know a similar deal back to back after how that first one worked out. Which is what I think it would take to get one of those college coaches to like leave a good situation and come to this Raiders rebuild, which is what it would be. I got to wonder what Jack Del Rio is, is thinking looking at uh, Mel Tucker's contract. That was his old DC. That was his uh, his DC in Jacksonville. Uh, I think he, I think he was even the interim coach after uh, after Jack got fired. Uh, kind of kind of strange how he just suddenly you know emerged and became this successful college coach. But uh, en- enough Mel Tucker uh, talk. Let's talk Raiders Chiefs Sunday prediction time. You know, last week we, we opened it up to is anybody actually going to pick the Washington football team to win. Um, so this time we'll open it up. Is anybody, and I'm looking at you, Ted, going to pick the Raiders to win on Sunday? It's hard to see going into Arrowhead and having you know the best performance of the season possibly. They won last year. Come on, why not? What's what's the weather? I feel like the offense was what, what, what do we got? a little bit better last year. The weather's supposed to be nice. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice, huh? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Well, ni- nice for Kansas City <laughs> in December. I mean, be clear skies for ass whooping. I I think the game will be closer, but the Raiders lose. I think it'd be thirty to twenty-one. Sunday, it's fit fifty-seven, mild with plenty of sun. 
I think it's nine and a half, I think, is the spread. If they were playing on Friday, it's going to be 67 there on Friday, then 47 on Saturday, then 57 on Sunday. So, uh, wild ride of... Uh, Sounds like Missouri. Mike with the, uh, yeah, yeah, it's Missouri for you. Um, I go Chiefs 34-20. I mean, I think they're better, but I also think the Raiders offensively, you know, Darren Waller's dice is still kind of up in the air. Um, they have, like, four linebackers with injuries right now. Um you know, so they're probably more beat up than they were last time they played the Chiefs um, on the road and Arrowhead. And the Chiefs defense is really, I think, like the, during this five-game win streak, I think they're like top three in like the EPA and, and scoring defense. And the Raider Raiders offense is looked right now. It just doesn't feel like a game that they have much of a chance in. But yeah, I got the Chiefs by two scores. Yeah, I was going to go the same. I'll go all same, kind of the same, same score. two scores. Uh, I was going to go 35-21. So, uh I'm giving them. Uh, you're giving them the two field goals. I'm giving them the uh, the touchdowns and extra points. So 35-21. Don't have reason to believe in, in the Raiders after uh, the way they performed last week, but um, which all probably means that they're going to play like they did against Dallas and, and pull off the upset. Yeah, last matchup, I was really uh, gung ho on the Raiders' chances. I was going crazy. You you, last you time. buried the Chiefs. You I were the Chiefs. So you, you had the shovel out. Yeah, I said I'm not impressed. So I'm gonna do a little, uh, do a caveat. I'm gonna say if. Darren Waller and Denzel Perryman both play. I'm going to say the Raiders win 27-20. If they don't play, one of those guys does not play or both don't play, I'm going to say they lose 27-20. So I'm going to go for the upset just because I think um, the Chiefs can't be I mean, worried about the Raiders. They have a little overconfidence there, I think, based on what happened last time. And you saw some of the highlights of guys talking crap about Derek Carr after the game. So I'm going to go uh, 27-20 either way, depending on – a Waller and Perriman. Fire emoji. Bonus prediction that I need from Vic. If the Raiders do win 27-20 behind the performances of Darren Waller and Denzel Perryman, do they take the victory lap? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That did not go well last night. That was totally a Gruden thing. I still love talking to some of the players about that. Like, Max Crawford's like, what the hell are we doing? Are we, are we still in the parking lot? What are we doing? They had no idea. I mean, it wasn't like he announced we were doing a victory lap. He was kind of like, hey, man, let's do it. And the players were like, what the fuck? So I just think that was, uh, I was Gruden at his best or worst, whatever. But, yeah, that won't happen again. I, I can't imagine that's uh, high on uh, – Rich Versace's list of things to do, taking on a victory lap. But, um, yeah, so no. I'm guessing the players felt a lot like we did in Mexico City when we were driving out of that stadium at like five miles an hour for like 45 minutes and wondering why the hell it's taking us so long to get the hell out of here. But, all right, guys, that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We will be back on Sunday. We'll see what the Raiders can do in, uh, in a game that might decide their season, might decide if, well, it'll decide if you uh, can spend the holidays still hoping for uh, a playoff appearance. But uh, Raiders Chiefs on Sunday, we'll be back after that one to talk about it all. Later. Later. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.